Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again today for an athlete interview. So excited to bring you today's guest, Laurence Vincent Lapointe, Canadian canoeist who you may remember from the Tokyo Olympics, came away with a silver and a bronze medal, if you don't mind, in both the C1 and the C2 event. Of course, won the bronze uh, alongside her teammate, Katie Vincent, and an incredible, incredible interview, this one. This is this is one of the best interviews I think we've ever had on this show because Laurence is just so honest and open about the journey that she went basically from getting involved in the sport to walking away with two Olympic medals. And it's, it's an incredible story because the C1 and C2 events made their debut in Tokyo. Women had fought for a very long time to be included on the Olympic program in the sea events. And not only just in the Olympics, but to even have a world championships. Laurence competed in this sport growing up with no world championship, no Olympics, nothing to sort of strive towards on that major, major world stage. And just the fight involved to get the sport included. And then outside of that and her journey, because Lawrence dominated the sport in the in the 2010s, you know, 13-time world champion, absolute dominant athlete. And when the Olympics finally became a thing, Lawrence faced a little bit of an extra hurdle, which all I'm going to say right now, you can listen to this, what happened in this interview, it involved a kiss. A simple kiss nearly derailed her entire Olympic dream. Absolutely insane story to hear from her. And as you'll hear me say in this interview, I think her her career and her life warrants a pretty darn good movie to be made about her. So I'm going to shut up. You're going to listen to me introduce her right now. Here is our chat with two-time Olympic medal-winning canoeist from Canada, Laurence Vincent Lapointe. So excited to be able to welcome our next guest to Off the Podium. We've spoken to a couple of athletes from the sport of canoe kayak, but we've never actually spoken to a canoeist. We've only spoken to the kayakers. So now it's time to talk to somebody about canoe, because I've had this explained to me and it's exciting when I know the difference, but we'll get to that. But we are speaking today to an absolute legend of the sport, recently back from Tokyo, where she claimed two medals, a silver and a bronze. And when you think about some of the most decorated athletes in the sport of canoe, this person's name comes up. 13 world championships, dominated the sport for the last decade and such an incredible journey and story to even get to the Olympics when, of course, the sea events were included finally for females at the Olympic Games. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show the one, the only, Laurence Vincent Lapointe. Laurence, first of all, welcome to the show. It's it's an honour to have you on the program today. Hey, well, thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be able to speak to somebody about canoeing because, again, 
who cares about the kayakers? The can- canoe's where it's at, right? Like this is kind of the this is the harder one. Like it's it's more spectacular to watch. Like you know we're we're sick of those kayakers. Let's let's talk about the real version of the sport, right? <laughs> oh, some people would argue against you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the thing that I always love about kind of watching either the canoe or, or the kayak events is just it's it's so entertaining and it's so such a, a physically demanding sport and the thing that always fascinates me with with canoe is I mean I struggle to do things sitting down let alone on my knees and like just the the power and the ability and everything involved in this is just incredible to watch and and I believe you you didn't even sort of set out to be a, a canoer you you kind of I guess uh stumbled across across this uh in, in not the most uh usual circumstances T- tell us about how you even discovered the sport and started this journey um yeah I mean well, at, at first it was because I didn't really want to go to summer camp anymore. You know, at that age, like 12, 15, I was sick and tired of summer camps and my parents wouldn't allow me to just stay at home all day and stay in front of my computer. I wonder why. Uh, it was fun, but no, they, didn't, they wouldn't allow me to. So they asked me to find actually a sport of my, of my own. And uh, one of my friends and her sister were both doing canoe kayak at the time so I decided to to give it a try and honestly I was bad I was <laughs> insanely bad I was like always in the water because I'm quite tall I'm a uh, almost six foot tall which is 181 centimeter so um, it's kind of hard for me to to have good balance because of my height so I would always end up in the water every single day for like hours at a time. And I would get mad, frustrated every single day. I would leave pissed off uh, from falling in the water so much. And then I'd come back the next day and just try again. So, yeah, that was not the best start, let's say. <laughs> Which, because I believe you sort of had some early Olympic aspirations, but it was, you know, another water sport, synchronized swimming. I, I mean, is, is this true? And kind of uh, what happened there? Did you pursue synchronized swimming and just canoeing was a better fit for you or? Um, well, so the thing is, uh, well, the, like the Olympic dream was more of a, as a kid, like I saw the Olympics, I saw the girls doing synchronized swimming and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like I want to try this. I maybe, you know, maybe one day I'll do that. Um, and honestly, from the start, I didn't really have a plan to go to the Olympic games. Even when I started canoeing, there was like, if I really wanted to go for a sport, which had Olympics, uh, Olympics in that discipline, I would probably not have chosen canoeing because there was none for women's. So honestly, yeah, I, I didn't pick my sports, uh, for the Olympics, but as a kid, I, I, Oh, that was so cool and I was just impressed and I kind of wanted to do it but I didn't know the implications of all that was when you are at that summer camp and and you're doing the canoe you're doing the kayak I I mean was it something more so about the canoeing that appealed to you over the kayaking aspect Uh, again does it just was it more enjoyable like did did you find it sort of more suited to you I mean kind of what is the canoe aspect over the kayak aspect um well my really really stubborn self was just um, well, first, I can accept that my boat, the canoe, would would beat me. And, and I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't have, accept to get defeated by a boat. 
Um, and also I was really so stubborn that in my head, it was like, no, I want to do canoe. And people would get, keep telling me like, nah, don't do canoe. Do, at least do kayak. You're not going to fall as much. But if you're going to do something like you should just do another sport altogether. And I was just too stubborn. And I convinced myself that, well, kayak is boring. You're paddling on both <laughs> sides. You know, there's more challenge in a canoe. You're always falling. And honestly, I just wanted to convince myself for the, of a good reason to keep going, although I was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it worked out in the end, right? Like it shows that that, you yeah. know, stubbornness <laughs> yeah, can, did. you know, pay off basically with that. Because, I mean, outside of the obvious of when you're sitting, when you're kneeling, you've got different paddles, different style of boats. The physical demands of canoe, I can imagine, are a, a little bit more th- than kayaking. Mean, are there are there other challenges outside of the the obvious ones when it comes to the the key differences between the two disciplines? Well, um, well, it's pretty obvious when you say it like that. Like position is completely different, posture. Uh, but even the technique, we take inspiration from each other in how we approach the the way we paddle because you know maybe something in kayak is not going to be useful for canoeing but maybe something might and vice versa so it's as it's at the same time really different and quite similar um so i don't know it's so technical like it took me years to get to the point where i'm at and even now my technique is far from perfect and i don't believe anyone has perfect technique in the world like close but not perfect so you know even 17 years in i don't I don't even know everything there is to know about it. <laughs> that, that, that's good. I can say you know more than I do. So, I mean, that's where we got you on the show to kind of <laughs> teach us a little bit about that. But it's it's kind of one of those, you know, unique sports when you think of so many different, say, Olympic sports where cycling, for example, you know, it, it, it's one sport. But mountain biking is different to track cycling. BMX, you know, is different to, to road cycling. It's, it's, it's a similar thing with canoe kayak because you've got – You've got the kayak, you've got the canoe, and then outside of that, you've got the sprinting, and then you've got the slalom. It's kind of, it's yeah. sort of, it's all under that same banner, but you obviously so different. I, I mean, do you, do you kind of all, you're all teammates, so you sort of still have that sort of camaraderie where you work together, whereas you can still sort of look at the, the kayakers and go, cool, they're my teammates, it's like different. You look at the, the, the slalom people, you're sort of under the banner, and weird way, know what you're going through, even though you're in very different events. Yeah, the thing is, honestly, sometimes it makes me mad uh, because on like on the political side of things, the way our sport is approached is as one big sport, like you said, uh, canoe kayak and sprint slalom is considered one thing. But there's no way I could just hop in a kayak, a sprint kayak, or even a, a slalom canoe or slalom kayak and just go with it. There's no way. It would be impossible. And anyone from those disciplines, I don't think they could just hop in my boat and do it like as well as I do. So it's like, I. it's always funny for me that we're considered one sport and also like we have the quotas that go, go with it. So since we're one sport, we have to share, share all the quotas. So when there's changes, uh, for example, when they had to include us, women's canoe, they had to remove some uh, a, a men's canoe race and a men's kayak race. And I was just so sad to see that to include women, you had to remove men. And it felt like a little bit uh, frustrating because I was like, how do you want to like promote women's sport if you're going to make everyone resent women's sport for 
being there, right? Like, don't <laughs> don't include us at the depend uh, at, at the like. Uh, how do you say that? Like in in someone's instead step. of instead of yeah, like in place. Of yeah. That. Which it's it's. I mean, this is one thing that we're learning a lot recently with so many of these different sports and you know the way the olympic program works is that on paper it's yeah why isn't the women's sea events in it let's just add them but then it's kind of there's always that well no yeah. we can't just add extra medals we can't just add extra yeah. athletes because then that creates confusion so it's kind of almost that double edged sword that and particularly i can imagine you know it's always been on that that fight like why aren't the women's sea events in in olympics you finally get it it's like yes here we go but then it's mm-hmm. like there's that extra side of it where other people are going to miss out, which it does seem weird yeah. that way. I know it's just it just makes me sad that I I've seen so many of my male teammates that had to like give up on their dream because I was allowed to have my own, and I just like yeah you know it leaves a bad taste. <laughs> what was there a I mean outside of again what we were just talking about in terms of the Olympic schedule is packed enough as it is you know they can't have the extra medals but was there ever sort of a, a reason why that the women's sea events just weren't included back when yeah. the men's were? So many different reasons. Uh, and all of them were basically just like, uh, not this, how do you say that? Fog, just fog to hide the fact that people didn't really want women's in, in my sport. But I, I've i heard everything. I've heard like, oh, women's are not strong enough or they're not good enough. Uh, they can't handle paddling in those boats. And I've even heard the, the most frustrating ones were that um, women's reproductive organs might be affected by wow. yeah, yeah by canoeing. I was told Jeez. that. And even up until 2012, women's like in different in some countries were still being told like, yeah, don't do canoeing. You're going to get incontinency. And I was like, dude, like sit on the toilet too long every day while watching like reading on your phone or playing a game and you might get incontinency so stop it like i can do anything else like i could do any contact sport or any like extreme sport and get injured really badly and i could choose to do that tomorrow morning but like you're telling me i cannot do my sport because you worry that it might one day affect my reproductive organs which not true by the way <laughs> and i'm like this is just this is just fake fake it like fake reasons why i can't do it it's so fascinating here like like it just sounds like that is an excuse that you would have given back at the 1896 olympics or something <laughs> like that like not a yeah. sort of a, a more modern one that's that's absolutely yeah. insane that that's a genuine reason people gave yeah oh yeah oh i've heard i've heard it all and like it started changing i mean so early t- 2010 and like early like that decade, um, people were still telling me that, and it was I heard everything. I've heard there was a judge line. So I, is that how you say that uh, the person who calls the start during a competition? I don't I don't exist. Start, yeah, start yeah. a judge at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. the starting you know, judge or whatever in a an international competition forgot to close off his mic and as we're getting on the starting line i hear him complaining about women's getting saying that we're unprofessional and this is a joke and this should not be happening and i hear that through the starting like like speakers i'm getting ready for my race and there's this dude just bad modding women's canoe in my face and i'm like 
how am I unprefinitional when you're doing this? Yeah. You know, but I've heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, fast forward slightly a little bit and we'll get to obviously Tokyo, but I mean, does that then add a bit of extra weight to those medals around your neck that you can kind of have that look at it and go to that guy who said that, like in basic terms, <laughs> fuck you, mate, look what I've got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, throughout my career, I've been lucky enough that like those bad things have lessened and lessened. And also I had so many positive encounters where people would come up to me and be like, I didn't know women's could be at battle like this. And I was like, yeah, we can, you know, yeah. we're good, we're strong. And I've also had like younger athletes, male and female, come up to me and be like, you're the reason I started battling. So, I, you know, to counterbalance all those bad experiences I had before, I've had a lot of positive ones. But, you know, you, you asked me if the weight of my medals is different for these games. It is, but not like the medals themselves are important to me because of what I went through in the last two years. But more than my, my medals, what I'm so much more proud of is the fact that we are allowed there at all. Yeah. So yeah. it's not only the weight of my medals, but it's the weight of history being made. That's what's more important for me. Because we had a lot of coverage in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. The great Jess Fox, you know, had done so well on the world stage in, in, in the slalom and, and had done very yeah. well at the Olympics in, in the K events. And obviously a lot of it was talked about her fighting for the inclusion of the C1 in the slalom to which he eventually yeah. won the gold medal in. So, I mean, we got a lot of publicity here about that fight and kind of everything around that. So it's, it's kind of always interesting to kind of hear everything because – I mean, when you win your first world championship gold medal, that's at the first time that the C events are included at the world championships, right? So it's kind of like... Officially, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, I can imagine that sort of throughout your career going up the ladder in the sport, it, mu it must be interesting to kind of be in a sport where there's not an official world championship or there's not like a, an Olympic event, like kind of, you know, going through that and then being a part of that fight to have it more inclusive as you were going through the sport. It's, yeah, it's just... I honestly, <clears throat> when I was younger, I, I didn't really think about it because at first, like I said, I was not good. So I didn't even have a reason to think about the Olympic dream, as we call it. Um, but I was just doing stuff because I liked it. I was having fun with my friends and just it was a, a fun sport. Right. Um, but at one point when I realized there was the possibility of me going one day to bigger competitions, like when I the first year I qualified, <clears throat> I qualified for World Cups a week before we left. Wow. And I finished racing and my like federation comes up to me and they're like, uh, all right, so uh, Hans, uh, you're aware that you know you need, to, you need to get your passport, you need to get your clothes ready. I was like, what? I didn't even know I was trying to qualify for World Cups. I raised because I like I raised because my coach told me like oh we have team trials you know I didn't even know what I was raising for but I just did it and we were leaving no kidding like six days later wow. I was like what is happening <laughs> right did um, you have a passport like tell me you I had did, one. yeah I oh, did good. I, All right. I, I, <laughs> I have traveled before but yeah it was just so you know sudden um but it's just now knowing that, like, I, for me, it was not a goal because I didn't have the right to dream about that goal of dreaming of going to World Cups or World Championships or even training camps, uh, like, somewhere else. And now I see the younger athletes, the, like, the younger 
teammates that I have that are like 18, 19 years old, and they can be entitled to like hope for this because yeah. now they have the chance to, and they, they don't have to be told the same thing I was told, like, no, you shouldn't do canoeing. So it's, it's so much cooler for me to know that, you know, they can, they can dream yeah, because for sure. they're allowed to. So at that point then, when you're not knowing you're qualifying for a world cup or things like that, was it just, was it regional? Was it provincial? Like, were you just representing Quebec at like a national championship or kind of like, how did it work in Canada at oh. that time? <laughs> so team trials are basically everyone in Canada who wants to give it a go at like, it's not like, it's not like national championships, but it is national and it's to each their own. It's not like club based. Our national championships are club based. You race for your club while like team trials are just do your best. And if you come like in the top, you'll be selected for like competitions and stuff like that, or even the national team. And is it a a region based thing in the fact that say a lot of the the canoeists are coming from Quebec, uh, you you know, is it kind of, is there a certain, an East versus West kind of divide that you've got some people, maybe a lot of people over in BC and then they all come together. Like what, I guess the question is what sort of other regions where the canoeists are coming from in Canada? Oh, uh, so in Canada, it's, it's pretty crazy how there's a big canoe gear community all in the East side of Canada and a much smaller community in the West side. So we do have a few athletes sometimes that are, that are that are from Manitoba, Alberta, pretty rarely. And then we had a guy on the national team during the Olympics that was from BC, and we saw we trained in BC, so we saw a few uh, a few athletes there, like a club and everything. But honestly, it's surprisingly East uh, East. Uh, Eastern Canada, which I find that interesting because when I was living there and sort of was doing, you know, some sports media work, it's kind of, it's fascinating that there are so many sports where there is a bit of a divide, like kind of like you get a lot of athletes coming from a certain part of the country and like it's, we kind of have that in Australia, but it's, it's not really that way. So I kind of found that uniquely Canadian. It was interesting. Yeah, in, In Canada, like it seems, at least to me, that Western Canada in, in the rowing water sports and mm. stuff they're mm-hmm. into rowing not yep. i lived in We're victoria into- right near the lake where they did a lot of rowing so i was i was exactly. witness to that a lot yeah exactly so it's like one side is canoe gag the other side's rowing <laughs> yeah which i mean the thing that we like to joke about uh we, we during our tokyo coverage um you know it's always like the first week is all about rowing and Australia, like, you know, we get all excited about the rowing and then the canoe kayak happens and we're literally going, why does this not get more attention? Like, it's kind of like this is treated like it's the the ugly redheaded stepchild of rowing, but I'm sorry, this is more exciting than rowing. Like, you guys are going forward at least. You know, those guys are going backwards. So um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's just always fascinating to me that it, it just almost gets passed over because at least in Australia, it's like, ah, rowing's where it's at. Screw those guys. But then we do so well in the canoe and kayaking and people realise how awesome this sport is. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys usually do pretty well. Yeah, canoe gags. I don't even know why you we got two goals. We got on. we got one in the sprint, and one in the uh, in the yeah. slalom. So we'll take that. So yeah, you know, there you of, go. It kind of works that way. Which so when you're progressing through, you're at the World Cup, you're at the World Championships, and all of a sudden this this becomes a thing. I mean, do you sort of remember that that World Cup you're talking about? Your first World Championship. You're wearing Team Canada clothing. You, you're sort of can almost go back to that moment where you're watching an Olympics go, that would be cool, and maybe, you know, didn't really kind of go off that. But, I mean, what's that moment like when you realise you're now representing your country on the world stage? Um, 
I I don't know. Like the first time I ever were, went to uh, to my first World Cup tour, I just was so giddy all the time. I was smiling. Like my the head coach called me, like gave me a, the nickname Smiley because I was always like I had cramps in my in my cheeks, like literal cramps, <laughs> and I was just very happy. I, I didn't even realize the the pressure of racing internationally of representing Canada. I was just so excited. And then when I came back from my first World Cup tour, uh, World Championships, um, I came back and people were like, oh my God, you're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm the same person as I was two weeks ago. Like, I haven't changed at all. <laughs> exact same person. And it was really funny because to me, it, it was almost as if nothing had happened because I did it and it was really cool. But I came back and I was like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> same just, person, but people were like just crazy about it. So yeah. And, 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 and do you feel that same way too? Then like when you, 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 you can literally say you're a world champion, like that first time you are a, a world, you are the best in the world at something. No one can take that away from you. Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, when I said that there were, there were so many, negative comments there was a lot that that i was being told about like oh we know you won because there's no competition i was told that you know it's kind of disheartening to know that like people believe that yeah you were the best but the best of the worst right so it's kind of sad and now like nowadays it's so much different for me because you know it actually amazes me that i was able to be part of the best even up to now, like it was not just sheer like luck. It was like hard work and talent and everything. Um, but yeah, now when I come back, I, I know I'm part of the best and no one can take that away from me. But yeah, so then it was quite sad because I was excited, but some people were really bad about it. <laughs> Well, I think, again, just reflecting on that, I think your resume speaks a little bit uh, highly that it wasn't just like, a oh, I just won that one race because there was two people in it, boom. Like, you've gone yeah. on to win a few more since then, so you've kind a of backed more. up those credentials, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, a few more. I mean, I believe I have, uh, so, 12 senior world championships uh, titles, like winning titles, like gold, then one under 23 championships uh, gold medal and then i have a couple of gold medals from world cups that i don't know exactly how many because um, i've encountered them all and then I have <laughs> you know you've got a few when you've lost count right yeah like, I, I can yeah. sit here and tell you how many times we've charted in the top 50 because it's only happened maybe once where ah oh, yeah a few <laughs> i don't know how many but there's they're, they're in a draw somewhere sure it's more I'll count than them one, one. <laughs> it's more than one i know but i don't yeah and then i have two two olympic medals one silver and one brown so yeah it's it's gone on for long i'd say it's it's kind of like I mean I'm sure that's how Michael Phelps feel right yeah I think I won a couple of Olympic do I I don't know how many there's a few just you know back the truck up we'll kind of see that which the fascinating thing though you're talking about the World Championships and then the under twenty three World Championships yeah you won senior World Championships before you then won a 
under 23 world championship how does yeah, how does that none. work <laughs> there was none like when oh I, right it started okay. for for canoe for women's canoe it started with senior world championships before that even were like juniors and and new two three uh world championships so that's wow. why i won those first and then i went on to win i assume we go the other way around that have like an under 23 before they then introduce it like i that's that's fascinating that like i can't imagine many sports like that has happened before that's very unique yeah that's kind of part of why people were telling me like, oh, there's no competition. Oh, well, well, again, changing. open the draw, show them uh, kind of uh, when it goes to that. When it comes to, you know, I love kind of learning in, in sort of, you know, both rowing and canoe kayak. You know, obviously you have everything from, you know, singles in rowing, you've got eights, obviously, you know, in canoe kayak, you've got, you've got four. Do you work out that your specialties kind of rely maybe more in a C1 and then all of a sudden you add the C2 to the program because you have a, a teammate, a coach says to you like, have you tried this? Or is it kind of you just you just do both and kind of you can work your sort of training and your competitions around doing both the C1 and the C2? Yeah, I mean, in our, in our sport, it is mostly single, right? We almost always train in single boats. And then once in a while, uh, we will do crew boats. So maybe like, it depends twice a week, three times a week, depending some people when, so when we qualify, uh, at least for women's canoe, that's how we work because most of us will, we don't have that much opportunity to do a lot of crew boats during races. So we do have to like prepare for single and prepare for double, but we mostly prepare for singles. But for example, like kayaking um, or, or even like canoeing, even for guys, they don't have like C4. They have like C2 max. The two is the number of people in the boat. So <laughs> canoe two, be like two, canoe yeah. two places. It works easy when you know that, right? The C stands for canoe, yeah. K for kayak. Like, yep, it's yeah, it's yeah. less K, confusing than K the rowers. See, again, rowing stupid. You, if you don't know that there's one with two oars and one with one, like it's easy to explain in canoe kayak. Yeah, well, for us athletes, it's C for canoe and K for K uh, for kayak, and then you add the number of people in the boat. So I do Easy. C one and C two. Easy. Easy. Um, yeah, but um, so for kayak counterparts, uh, sometimes if someone qualified strictly in crew boats, they'll train strictly in crew boats unless their teammates are busy doing their singles. Then they'll do also singles. But um, yeah, most of the time we were we train in, in singles and then do some doubles. And then, of course, you've got freaks like Lisa Carrington, who we always just need to bring up when we're talking to canoe kayaks. You know, oh she's from God. New Zealand. We don't generally talk about them in positive light, but hey, I'm not going to not talk about she's Lisa just, Carrington in a yeah, positive light. She's just light. amazing. She's just, just that wow. good that you cannot yeah. not talk about her. Yeah, I mean, when New Zealand has somebody that good, you have to talk about it because it's rare. So it's kind of you know, you it kind of it, it goes in that way. Is she's there, a nice person too. <laughs> I, I can, I mean, I can imagine she looks like an incredible person. I mean, sort of, we all obviously know, like, sort of what we're talking about with the Olympics is always the difference between a world championship are there c4 events for women in world championships or is that like a men's based one because i i would love to see a c4 kind actually, of uh, like i can imagine that would be epic yeah actually um very recently like uh two weeks ago i think one or two weeks ago there were the under 23 world championships and my teammates did a ic4 so wow. uh, c4 for women's and how do you balance a boat in that aspect i mean I've, I've seen how you celebrate after an event and you fall in the water like the balancing aspect is, is fun right but like a c4 like in full pelt sprint like how the hell do you all stay in unison to stay up upstanding 
you just you just follow the person in front of you and you just hope no no it's a joke um the thing is like it, it depends because usually you would want to have a person on the right and a person on the left because it's easier to steer if there's like counterbalancing uh, from the steering on both sides but as we've seen with my teammate we both battle on the same side so she as the person in the back needs to steer double all the time but we still manage to make it work uh, but the funny funny thing is you don't always have the right number of rights versus left and um, my teammates during the U23 World Championships two weeks ago, they had to race three lefts and one right because wow. there was just not enough like to make two two. So they had like two people on the same side, one on the other side, and then the fourth person on. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and and so you could have a race where you've got say in a C4 a boat with three rights and a left and then another one's got two rights and two left like does it have to all be the standard or can you sort of have different boats with different styles it doesn't have to be it it could be four lefts if you somehow made it work wow. but that would be almost impossible because steering would be very very hard um yeah. <laughs> yeah three is like the maximum you can have like on one side versus the other but wow. yeah we you know we, it, it, there's no restriction about that. I've been like in the past, I had other teammates and I had one that was also on the same side as me. And we had people complain on like videos of our, ours that we were, well, we were world champion at the time with my other teammate and people would write on our, on our post, like, Oh, this is so unprofessional. Like dude, like doubles, double left two on the same side. This is bad. And I was like, we just won world champions. Like, what do you want us to do? There's no one on the right. We can only do double left. Jeez. And it's like, yeah, like, I'm Fans of canoe seem a bit mean. Uh. It was not just only men in canoe. It's just, it was just like people, honestly, yeah. like mostly men, but mostly older people, like, and and just canoe cat were from around the sphere. It was wow. not all like our counterparts no Jeez. they were actually pretty positive and supportive i um yeah I, i'm lost for words in some of this I, I mean i'm thinking of certain like you know things that always seem to get complained about i, I never pictured canoe would be up there as kind of one of these ones that people are so sort of uh on that i mean <laughs> when it comes to sort of having the, those pairings obviously you know you go on to win the bronze with katie but yeah. she's obviously a competitor for you in in the C1. Yeah. I mean, kind of what's it like when you're trying so hard in a C1 to beat her, then all of a sudden you've got to work yeah. with her in a, in a boat probably like, you know, the next race or however it works. It's it's quite hard because it it's all about being professional because some people you will be friends with and some people you won't be friends with. And you have to make it work no matter how. So example for with katie and i like we work well together but the thing is we're not like we're not really close so when we're outside of training we don't hang out together like unless unless there's just two of us and then we'll be like too lonely if we're not together but um yeah i mean you just make it work it's it's our not only our sport and our passion but it's also like kind of our job to to be professional uh, in what we do so we just you know make it work um yeah and it works i mean it does, clearly yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah it does again a piece of jewelry around your neck probably uh you know signifies yeah. that that aspect of it i mean always like to learn 
sort of from our guests, particularly from sports we haven't really talked to many athletes from, is the training aspect. And, I mean, look, again, armchair you know, expert, know nothing about the sport really outside of what I see in an Olympic Games is I can imagine it's a very upper strength, you know, upper body kind of with the power that you guys have to have sort of when you're in an event. But outside of, of that, I mean, kind of what are you working on when you're in a gym? Like kind of what are the key aspects that really make you a strong canoeist? Um, so I feel like our sport is all about like there's a lot of different cross trainings that you can do um, because it's not – it's not all about the arms. It's not all about the legs. It's not all about the trunk. It's a lot about technique. So no matter how strong you are, if you have no technique, you're not going to be good. Um, and there's just so much you can do it. That's why, that's why like the best in our sports are not the best at like 17. It's pretty rare. Like, um, for example, the, the, uh, us, the, uh, USA girl that won in our race at the Olympics. She's really good and she has great technique. So props to her. But usually, you know, the technique and and the like all the experience comes later. Um, and she's what about nineteen, isn't she? She's like she's nineteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm twenty nine. There you go. I'm I'm old. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I personally cannot run because I always have bursitis in my knees. So I just have to be careful about that. But I do love swimming and then biking and we do weights at least three times a week. And just, you know, we just train everything to make sure that not, not only like our sport is very one-sided with always paddling on the same side. So we have to make sure everything's balanced, everything's strong. So that when we get in the boat, we can do the technique without having to like deal with lack of power and then when it comes to things like race strategy obviously i can imagine it's maybe a little bit different from the c1 to the c2 when you're by yourself and you've got a teammate but i mean is is a race strategy in a in an event that's what 200 meters just go hammer and tong you've got no real strategy in that like just go all out and hope that you cross the line first i mean is is there a strategic side to a 200 meter sprint like that (laughs) it's pretty much like you said uh straight up uh straight up go and just do as good as I can and not die and not panic. If, if, for example, like someone's catching up during the last few meters, just keep focus and keep going, going hard. Uh, that's basically the, the my race plan for 200 because it's so short. But then for 500 and with my teammate, we really do have to make sure that we have a race plan. And um, <laughs> it's funny because I don't know if you've seen our, our C2 500 race in the Olympic mm. Games. Yep. Um, you've seen it. Yeah, I actually I, yeah. I caught a bit of it. Just uh, I mean, saw it during the Olympics, but I actually just in the lead up yeah. to this, I watched an interview that you two did, and then kind of they were showing the uh, the the replay of it. So yeah, no, just yeah. Just well, the it. the thing is, the thing is, at halfway of the race, we were fifth on a eight beep, like eight boat race, right? Mm. Fifth on eight boats is not it's not bad, but it's not like great. It's not what we were wanted to what we wanted to do, and our race plan was to like just give everything we had left in the last 200 meter and like halfway is 250. So we 250 before the end were fifth. And then the last 200 were like, all right, this is it. We were giving everything we've got left because it's the end of the games. We just push. And I did not even think I just followed the plan, followed my teammate because she always talks to me during the race and we pushed so hard. And we made it on the podium. And, and that was wild. That was crazy. Like when I passed that line, 
I like you know the beep that we hear on the on during the races. Like yep. sometimes you think it's only on TV, but we also hear them. On oh, the you line. do hear it. Oh, I always thought that was just yeah. a sound effect. I had it for TV, but there you go. It, it depends when and where, but like during that competition, I heard it. So I heard one beep and then two beeps, and then we passed. And I was like, we made it. Wow. <laughs> but my teammate didn't really realize that the beeps were happening. So she she like turned her head and then she saw we were in front of the other boat. And we, we went crazy. That was that was insane. I was gonna ask about the talking aspect because like is it just like a go word? Like when you sort of say like put everything, yeah. you know, everything that's like, okay, you've got a buzzword like push. Like I don't know, like yeah, and is that no, kind of that keyword? Yeah, we have keywords and she's the one who's able to talk. Honestly, I'm always too winded out to be able to say anything. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she'll she be like everything from the start till the finish of the race. There's something we have a queue almost every 100 meter, if not every 50. Like it depends where. Um, but yeah, Can we you have share any of those words or are these like very secretive that you don't want your competitors oh, to hear them? It's, no, it's just, it's not necessarily the words that are secret. It's just the placement. Uh, but like, for example, the start, um, we start with three strokes and then she goes up, but then she goes up again. And that's pretty unusual because usually you do one start and you just go for it. But we, since we're double on the same side, we kind of need a second, uh, second cue to like get us even faster. And uh, yeah, usually it's it's just all her. Like we both know the race plan, but she's calling them to make sure we're on on point at the same time and same place. Just just while we're on the topic, I, I loosely mentioned yeah. before, but I, I have to bring it up: the little viral moment where you get a bit over eager and fall in the water afterwards. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. I can imagine. You said before when you started that you often didn't stay in the boat. I mean, uh, do, no. does it does it bother you sometimes? People remember your Olympics a little bit more for falling in the water rather than coming away with two medals. <laughs> oh, they don't. They don't only remember it that way better. They also like right off as it happened, people would be like, "You're viral," but not for the race. It was all for falling in the water. Did you know? My dream as a kid was to do synchronized swimming. There you go. <laughs> hey, I like that. That kind of works. It's, it's actually funny. So we're generally a co-Canadian Australian production and, and my Canadian co-host couldn't join me today for this. But uh, when I was sort of, you know, saying to Colin, like, yeah, you know, we're interviewing Laurence, any questions and that sort of stuff. The first thing he says, ask him about falling in the water. <laughs> like literally yeah. the first thing he says to me is yeah, that. Yeah, it's just very funny. It's just, so what happened is, I'm super excited as we pass the line because I hear the beeps. I know we're third and she sees that we're third and she had to make sure. And then we both get so crazy, but she stands up in the boat and she starts like almost dancing behind me. And during a 500 meter, it's like, for me, it's the hardest race because I push so hard with my body and my legs that after the race, usually my legs die. Literally most of the times after our races, she has to almost like bring us all the way to dock because I just, it just stops working. My body stops working and she is standing up and I'm bed. So I'm like, <laughs> can you sit back now? So she, she stands back. Uh, she's, she's puts back her knee in the boat, but then we both at the same time without really telling each other try to like go for a high five she tries to go for my shoulder and i try to like backhand like behind my my hip i try to bring back my hand 
And as I do that, I lose balance as I, she's trying to like just tap me on the shoulder. And everyone thinks she pushed me, but I'm like the dumb, <laughs> dumb whale, not whale, but it just felt like I was like just falling like like a whale would like just <laughs> and I just lost balance and fell. And everyone's like, she pushed you. No, she's not. She actually followed me in the water because I fell. Wow. Yeah. You know what I appreciate about that story is that you probably are now getting used to explaining the technique behind why you fell in the water more so than the <laughs> technique that won you an Olympic medal. Uh, you know, I, like. Yeah, a little bit more, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's also part of it. <laughs> now, two things. I, I, I want to come back to you, the, the C1, but just two things in the lead up to the Olympics. What was that moment like when you you found out that officially – you could become an Olympian, that the, the, the events had been added to that calendar, I think, was it 2017 when they sort of announced yeah. it? I mean, what was that knowledge now that, hey, this is a possibility, I can become an Olympian yeah. now? Um, it, well, it was not the talks for a long time. It was in the works um, behind the scenes and politically. I, I knew some people were debating it. But um, when... I was actually coming back from a competition from World Cups and during my flight, I didn't know, but it happened during my flight on the way back home. And as I landed, I like got back in the car with my parents and on the way home, my mom's like, yeah, the house, I have a new, I have a good news for you. Uh, they just included women's canoe in the games. And I was like, oh my God, just so much relief. Just like, oh, okay, okay, nice. Okay, now you know. Now it's my chance. It just wow. felt very relieving. Yeah. Which then, on the flip side of that, obviously, with what happened beforehand, it nearly kind of got taken away from you. Now, for maybe Twice, sort of yeah. listeners that are not sort of aware of what happened, essentially, this all boarded down to you tested positive for a banned substance. Yes. It wasn't that you took the banned substance. It essentially came down to you kissed your boyfriend at the time, I believe, and then that yeah. kind of led to you testing positive. I mean, that I, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but to have it, boom, here it is, you become an Olympian. You, you're on that path to take it away, and you just, you're just you so unsure of, of how this has even happened. Yeah. So, yeah, that was in 2019, uh, that was after that was two years after being told that women's canoe would be included. And that was also the year I was supposed to uh, qualify Canada because in I don't know, like each sport is different, but for canoe kayak, you qualify your country first. And then the year of the Olympics, you can qualify within your your country to decide like who's going to take the the quota. Um, so I was actually, uh, a few weeks off before world championships, which would allow me to qualify Canada. And uh, yeah, I was just doing a, a training camp, doing training stuff. I would see my boyfriend, like he, he like slept in my apartment every night because obviously we'd been together for years. And, um, and yeah, like right before world championships, maybe two weeks later, I not even a week before I get this crazy email with like a lawyer letter letter basically that tells me uh, you're being suspended because you have an adverse finding in your urine sample from that day and uh i was like is this is this like a, a gag show like is 
like I couldn't believe it. It's so crazy that my first reflect, like my first reaction was actually disbelief. Like this is this must be a joke. Someone's trying to pull a really bad prank on me. And well, after that, like I realized it was true, and it was so insane for like, like I was sent back home, and I couldn't tell my teammates until like it officially came out, and. I was just so devastated. I couldn't race. I, I couldn't even talk to my teammates. I couldn't be allowed to see my coach. I was literally put aside because I was suspended. Suspension means you cannot be associated in any way with like your federation, your teammates or anyone. So yeah, I was, I was put aside. I was very, very lost. And I didn't know, like I had no clue on, at first I was like, could it be from something I ate? from something I drank because like I've been I've been with the guy for years right remember yeah. I've been with my ex for a long time at the time I had no reason to think he took anything weird right so I look around what I ate what I drank I I asked like everything to be tested and I personally I went through a lie detector test I also got my home hair tested which I don't know if you know a little bit about like um, how banned substance work, but they can, they, they can like stay in your hair right. and like, you're able to say with the length of each hair, like when the, the banned substance came into your body, but it has to be for use. And my, what happened with me is that it was such a small contamination that it, it didn't show at all in my hair. So I was like, I tested my hair came back negative means I didn't take it to like, for doping, but it still came in my body because if not, my my like urine test would not have been positive. And I was looking everywhere. Like when you see needle in a haystack, it was worse than that. Mm. And like a few months later, at one point, I'm like, uh, we we've gone through so many like different avenues, and there's nothing. And I like I was like talking with my ex, my now ex, and I was like, you know, you were the closest person to me like we already tested my hair maybe we should also test yours because if you somehow got contaminated and we see it in your hair maybe that would give me like a, a, a place to look at right if it, it might be in your like eating or drinking that that we might find it and his hair actually came back not only positive for like traces but actually positive for usage on a few months yeah Jeez. yeah and so i was so mad but also so relieved it is the yeah. worst like the craziest like mismatched mixed like, emotions at the same yeah. time yeah it's so crazy how how are you the most pissed you've been in your life but also the most relieved right and well it was still not done at the time because i had to go through my hearing and everything and i had like i had to have him testimony testify but yeah, um, I, I was able to go through the hearing and even the scientist was like, yeah, there's nothing else that could have happened. That's what happened. Like she kissed him and she got contaminated that way because it, it was insanely small. It was like the smallest contamination they had ever seen. <laughs> so I, I, I've always imagined that as an athlete, the, you know, the amount of times you're getting drug tested that you would be paranoid already that like, what if I take something that I don't realize what's in yeah. it and, and things like that? Like, you know, and, and then to have that happen, um, oh. 
for something you probably could never even imagined is is possible that you could test positive uh, yeah. by kissing someone. I haven't had anyone in my life either romantically or physically since then, and there's not like it's not really hard to to know why, right? I have yeah. absolutely no trust. I was with someone for over five years, and I was contaminated by that person. And now, now I'm like I couldn't I couldn't even try to meet someone on Tinder. I would have no way of knowing. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I can even on the side of things, which I can imagine that as soon as it emerges, no doubt in the media that you've tested positive straight away. That's the headline, and then straight away people form an opinion. Oh, well, she's a drug dealer. Oh, yeah. Like that. That's that oh, straight yeah. away. So then you've got to you're fighting against yourself that you're innocent. You're fighting against fighting it. And then no doubt when you come back to, I mean, I'm sure there are still people out there who remember your name, remember the headline, and they still probably think, oh, well, she was a drug cheat, where they don't know the full story. So, I mean, that all those things you've got to overcome. I mean, does that yeah. spur you on even more to kind of just prove those doubters that you already had clearly with this entire journey you got to that point to just show everybody just, wow, like this is wrong what's happened? Yeah, honestly, um, after that, like after getting cleared, I was so I was very transparent with um, with the process and everything um, with my lawyer, with my I, I had an agent that followed me through this because she believed in me. And people actually people who knew me were like, there is no way the homes we anyone if anyone else we were told anyone else as doped, we might be inclined to believe it, but not you like just why would you and and i was like thank you for believing in me but it was like kind of blind faith in me and i was kind of like i was so happy but at the same time i wanted to prove them right for believing in me right um but we were very very transparent through the whole thing like at the beginning when i came back i was like i have no idea we will do everything we we can to find how it happened and then after that we did everything and there was a a um documentary made on this back like in Quebec which is in French sadly it's not like it's not easy to broadcast everywhere um, but everything we did to like find how it happened is in the documentary so after that like I was like okay now that the documentary is out if people want to get a better idea on, on me they can watch the documentary and if even then if even then they still believe I did it and I'm a cheater. I cannot do anything to change their mind. And I don't care. Like at that time, I, I was really just like, I'm clear. I can paddle again. I can go back to my life. And I don't really care about people who, you know, still believe I did it. But yeah, at first, some people just straight up wrote to me on Messenger and be like, you're worse than Lance Armstrong. Wait, was it Lance, Lance who who yeah. like yep. this? Yeah. Yep. You're worse than Armstrong. You're worse than Ben Johnson. You're worse than like all those insane like cases of cheating. Like I was almost com compared to like Sochi by myself. You know, wow. <laughs> like, it was so crazy. And That's I was like, um, I think you're not comparing the right thing there. Okay. <laughs> There's, I'm yeah. saying with everything that you've had to face, there's a movie in this. You talk about a documentary being made. I, I'm just seeing that there needs to be yeah, sort of a movie made a, about your journey. Come on. Yeah, some people have uh, asked me if they could write something about it. Hey, <laughs> yeah, phew, get on board that, you know, like jump on that. Yeah, know, but it's, it's quite know? fresh. I kind of want to like 
let myself live a little bit, you know, go back to school first uh, before <laughs> having to relive it all. Wow. Wow. Yeah, which, it, it was crazy. Which then we always like to find out sort of about those Olympic experiences outside of the competition, you know, being in the village, kind of soaking all that atmosphere up. And I can imagine that adds a bit of an extra layer of kind of, uh, you know, achievement when you're you're in Tokyo, when you when you arrive and you're getting ready to compete. You see the rings, you see all that sort of stuff with everything that you've gone through to get to that point. Honestly, the the moment it hit me the most was not even, well, okay. It hit me really hard when the day I was officially allowed to go, uh, so when I was selected, uh, I got my my jacket, <laughs> and when I beautiful put it on, beautiful jackets. I I am so jealous of the Canadian. Like it depends which one, but I yeah. just got like, this standard red jacket, Canada. And I just put it on, and I got this like just a full body shiver. Just like you know, like the <laughs> how do you say that? <laughs> goosebumps. Like, uh, goosebumps. Yes, full on goosebumps. And just like, oh my God, it was so exciting. But then when I got to the games, I was like, yeah, I'm at the games, but I never got that realization that I am at the games until literally the starting line of my, my semi-final in C1. Wow. Like the second day of racing, like I raced on the, I, I raced on the Wednesday, uh, wait, no. I think it was Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I'm on the starting line about a hundred meter before my line. And I look around me and I'm like, I'm at the Olympic games. I'm, I'm in the games. Wow. <laughs> and I just, I just started not freaking out, but I was so happy. I was just <laughs> overwhelmed by just being happy and content with where I was that on the starting line, my parents said that they saw me smile. They were like, oh, my God, she's being way too overconfident. But I was not overconfident. I was not con concentrating at all. And one of my worst races, I just could not focus. I came third in the semi. And then I had to re-race, like, a few hours later. And then I, I just got on the line on the final. And I was I was still happy. I was still feeling that bliss. But I was way more like concentrated so when i started i just gave everything i had and it but yeah. sort of worked out for you uh you yeah you, but it's a weird moment you know to, yeah. to realize on the line that it's happening is it i mean i always am intrigued to hear about the the value and the power of of winning an olympic medal i mean you know as we were discussed 12 time senior world champion you know one time, you know, 13 world championship gold medals, multiple world cups, so many you can't even count. But yeah. does a, an Olympic silver medal in some way, again, through the fight that you had to do to just even get to an Olympic Games, does oh, that almost hold, it does hold it, more weight and value? It tastes so much better. I haven't tasted it though, but I mean, like, the feeling <laughs> is, is so much more because I've had throughout my career to like, realize at one point that each new race was a new beginning i can just take uh the new one as the continuation of the previous one because at one point that's kind of what happened in my career because everyone would tell me like oh we know you you keep winning just because you're you and there's no like uh we know you're gonna win and so at one point i i, I got a lot of trouble with my mental preparation in like 2015 and after that, when I came back, I had to like really be 
okay, this is a new race, this is a new beginning. But it was kind of difficult when it was just world championships, world championships, world championships. But going to the Olympic Games and also after my suspension and after COVID hit and just going for the games, that was literally a new beginning. And mm. this, like I had worked for months with my mental preparation uh, guy to be sure that I would be focused throughout my race. If someone was trying to catch up, I would not panic. I would just keep paddling until the end and give everything I had. And all those months of preparation, they really paid off. And that is that is why, even though I didn't come first, the silver that I won at the Olympic Games is so much more th- worth it to me than all of the other ones. And then you add an extra one a couple of days later, right? You get two of I them. I mean, yeah, so. two days later, I had the other one with my teammate, but that was just the cherry on top. <laughs> Which I always like to ask our, our medalists. I mean, it's, it's still obviously very fresh. I, I can't imagine you haven't stopped showing it off, but what have you done with the medal? And, and do you sort of have a oh, – both of them, I should say, do you sort of have a plan to just put them in the drawer with the hundreds of other World Cups or are you going to put these on display one time to be like, hey, look at these, two Olympic medals? Well, right now I mostly always travel with them. Like right now I have them in my apartment right here. Um, but whenever I go to events, I bring them because I know people – like so it's funny because – uh, some people, when they come back, they're like, oh, I cannot show them out too much. They're going to get broken. They're going to get like scratched and everything. And I'm like, well, what's the point of hiding my medals so that yeah. they scratch? <laughs> Who's going to see them if they, like, if I had hide them, right? Like, how can I share them? And so that's why I bring my medals everywhere. They are scratched. They are very, very scratched. And the bronze medal, which actually is not bronze, it's like the copper is, um, it's a uh, uh, copper plating, mm-hmm. has actually already started uh, oxidizing. So it's well, I was going to ask something deep. about that because was, I, I, wasn't there some stories emerging about certain Olympians, their medals were like chipping or something was like going on? So I, I, I don't know if that was just the gold. Some were saying that there were some issues and that the IOC were having to like fix their medals. So I, I didn't know. I don't know. Just, I don't know. Yeah. But my medals are looking banged up like banged that's up. what you want you want them i don't to kind care of yeah honestly yeah. like my my mom was worried she was like oh they're gonna be scratched like be careful and i'm like yeah who cares people can see them people can can share them with me and that exactly. is way more important to me like there was a kid the other day who who touched my metal and he, he dropped it on the ground and it was asphalt and it's just it's okay it's fine like don't it's worry fine. I was really worried and I was like, it's okay. It's okay. The kid is happy to touch it. The parents are happy. We took a picture with it. It's it's fine. But that's, it's just it's, a medal. It's a piece of It's those moments though. Like I remember as a kid there was a an Olympic parade where I grew up in Hobart. I think it was after Atlanta and I've got a photo of me as like a nine-year-old wearing an Olympic bronze medal like because we had a swimmer who won a bronze medal. And then yeah. after Sydney when we had the Welcome Home Parades, again, I've got like photos of me touching an Olympic gold medal. Like you just remember things like that because it's just kind of like, wow, like I got to hold or wear an Olympic medal and, you know, I may yeah. never achieve one myself. But and I guess it's that joy you see from these kids who are seeing that and maybe inspire them, maybe back to what you're saying about inspiring the next generation that one of these days it's going to come on CBC at night. Like here's, here's a picture of 12-year-old. You, you know julie that she got inspired by laurence and and now look maybe, at her she's winning an olympic medal herself maybe honestly i do that because i remember as a kid 
there were Olympians who took the time to either help me on the water or share their medal with with me or just like share their experience with me. Like one of my mentors actually is a a man who did canoeing in the I think 2090 uh, sorry uh, 1992 Olympic Games. I think I'm not a hundred percent sure, but when I was when I was younger, he would come to the club, paddle beside me, and just be patient with my you know very tippy self. <laughs> I would always be in the water, but he was so patient and took the time to like give me some technique that no one else would give me because I was too bad. And that really changed things for me as a kid. So I'm like, if I can even do that in a small like even a small percentage of what he did for me by like showing them their, my medals. This is already so, so important. So that's yeah. why I do it because I don't care. My medals, they're going to get scratched. Who cares? Who's going to see and then them? the movie comes out and then it's even more inspirational, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to need some props. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now before we close it off with a series of kind of get to know you questions, two quick fire questions for you. One, the obvious question, I've got to ask it. Everyone's asked it to you and you're probably sick of answering it, but Paris 2024, are you, are you aiming? Is it? Is that the goal kind of to go to, you, to another Olympics? I have no idea. No because idea. after the last two years, after the last two years I've had with my suspension, COVID, uh, and so many different things, and I need a break right now. <laughs> I just got into my my uh, new program. I'm in physiotherapy in, in university, and honestly, it was my first choice. So I'm super excited to just sit down for a bit, study instead of stress about like performance, and. I just need a few months to decide like how how it's going to go. All right, I'll tick that cliche question off done, all right? Ah, oh, there we go. Got that one. But the <laughs> other one I want to ask. Now, we, we maybe this might be one of our questions and I get to know you thing about sort of what you do in your spare time, but I believe you're you're a bit of a fan of of, of painting and, and and knitting, which um is this is this is this true and if so like what are, what are we painting? What are we knitting? Is it kind of, you know, a secret to kind of, you know, what you what you're putting out there? Yeah, honestly, it always depends. But to me, I love being like doing manual work. Um, either that or just like the straight up boring answer of watching shows or playing games on my computer. But I do, I do enjoy knitting a lot, but during mostly during the winter because you know it's it it's cold time i do, Montreal, I, do right? and, like... <laughs> I have so many different scarves that i've made in the last few years but you know i new one every every, every winter <laughs> i have to have a quick question on montreal i was talking to you off air about it. i'm a big fan of the city now i'm yeah. a big formula one fan have you ever been to the to the race and if so what what do you sort of think of the formula one if you've ever actually been to it I haven't been to the Formula One. I've seen NASCAR though. Right. It's really funny, but yeah, no, I haven't. I, I, like we paddle. The funny thing is, we paddle where the Formula One. I was going to say because it's right next to the circuit, isn't it? There, <laughs> yeah. the, the the Montreal the rowing course. Which uh, the thing that the thing that I will say about the, going to the Montreal Grand Prix is that I've never seen a city get so behind a race. Like I go to the Melbourne Grand Prix generally every year and, and Melbourne gets behind it, don't get me wrong, but it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. Whereas yeah. when I went to Montreal, I mean, there was like three city blocks shut down for a festival. The whole city was involved and the most yeah. efficient transportation and just like the thousands of people that they get to and from that circuit in such an orderly manner, like props to Montreal, the best Grand Prix well, I've ever been to. 
I'd say you were lucky to get efficient yeah. transportation. <laughs> but yeah, we do get behind a lot of things, you know, like for hockey, for example, we, we get so crazy about it. And it's just, um, I don't know, we, we do enjoy that kind of stuff. So we, we get behind it and we're proud of it. So we celebrate. Am I, am I allowed to ask about the, the Habs or is it still a bit, still a bit of a source point? No, uh, you can you know. ask. It's <laughs> just how, I mean, I mean, it's good. Like, it's the best place they've done in like years, decades. I, I think, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. And we've come 28 yeah, years, I believe, since not only Canada, but also the Habs won a Stanley Cup. So, there you uh, go. nearly there 30 you years. Um, yeah. so. Yeah, as as everyone says, right? Next next year's our year, so we'll <laughs> see. Oh, how that I goes. hope so. We, we've got a good team. We've got good coaches. I I'd say we we have our good chance, but we'll see. <laughs> Cross those fingers. Now, Lawrence, as I said, we we wrap up every interview a series of sort of fun get to know you questions. Now, these were Team Canada questions that they gave athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Now, as far as we are aware, they didn't do them for you guys because there's nothing on the website. So okay. uh, we're a bit disappointed that they didn't do it. Now. I always like to try and get an athlete from the same sport. And uh, we're going back to our man Cameron Smedley here, a paddler. Now, is, is Cameron someone you know, like as a fellow Canadian paddler? I, I, I think he's more of a – I think he's a slalom athlete, not a sprinter. Yeah, though, so. I, I, I cannot say the name rings a bell, but I'm also really bad with names. So That's okay. I, right, unless, right. unless he was in my face telling me, yeah, you know me, I'd be like, oh, fuck <laughs> Might have to track down Cam to, to, to get him on the show to see that. But let's start off with, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Well, for the games we just had, Tokyo. Definitely couldn't have been done anywhere else, I believe, because the way they were organized, even with COVID, I don't believe anywhere else could have done it as good. Um, everything was on point, like just to let you know how on point it was, one of my teammates, like one of my friends from a different sport, she was telling me that one day the bus driver was panicking because he had to leave one minute late. Wow. Yeah. Like they were on point. Everything was like so well managed. Like I cannot say outside, but within the village, within the activities of the Olympic Games that the athletes were part of, everything was managed to like, like so precisely that's that incredible. I don't see how it could have ma- been made with COVID if not for the Tokyo and, and like the Japanese people. I like that bus driver. I like it when someone's concerned about <laughs> being one minute late. That that that's my type of yeah, person. Um, yeah. The weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was. Uh it just oh, there's so many things. One time I had to practice without putting any any power any weight on my front foot, so I had to act as if there was like something under my foot, which there wasn't. But like, imagine there's an egg and you're gonna break it. That was weird. <laughs> I really didn't like that feeling. <laughs> wow, geez, it didn't didn't work. Did did it help not, at all? Or? Not exactly, but I don't even know what he was trying to do. I was quite <laughs> young at the time. <laughs> this is why I love this question because we find out from so many people that sometimes coaches just give confusing instructions that to this day people oh, yeah. don't understand. So yeah, that's why I've taken the time as I grew older to like ask to rephrase 
uh, whatever I didn't understand. And now like I could explain to someone any other way. Like if, if I try to explain something, I can explain it many different ways because I've been through that before. So it's useful. That's the way I look at it. I like that. Uh, your favorite workout is? Uh, I enjoy sprints a lot um, because they're fun. But outside of paddling, I love swimming. I would swim anything, anytime, any day. Perfect. I like that answer. If you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Mm. That's a difficult one. I never know what to answer. Um, well, since we talked about her earlier, uh, I'd say Lisa Carrington. She's a cool. Yes. She's a cool person. We could chat. Um, just sit down. Yeah. That'd be a good lunch, I think. That would uh I think yeah, so. that would work very well. Um your favorite sandwich is Ooh. uh I love breakfast sandwiches mm. with eggs and, and ham and just cheese. You know, one thing I loved when I was living there is bagels aren't really a big thing in Australia. You you gotta to struggle to find one, but a Tim oh. Hortons like bagel and it yeah. had like the bacon and, and, and cheese on it was pretty darn good. <laughs> I, I, I quite like that. And I've, I've got to, you know, show my stereotypical living in Canada. Let's go to Timmy's, right? So uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we have, have a lot in. of good breakfast foods here. Yeah, definitely. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, I just think I would like to fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, Whenever I think about it, like it happens, you know, sometimes you'll geek out about a subject and you'll be like, ah, what, what would I like? I really am a firm believer of like not going in the past because if I could time travel, I would do the same things exactly the same way because I just believe my, my life could change that much. Like I, yeah. I, people find that a bit crazy about me, but I don't have a regret in my life. There's one, one thing I regret. It's just not buying a Chinese chef knife, uh, not, not Chinese, Japanese chef knife when I went to Japan th three years ago. Wow. That's the only thing I regret. I don't even regret everything that happened uh, throughout my career because I'm like, I'm the person I am right now because that happened. That's I went through specific one. What was about this knife? What what, what was so special about oh, this knife? It just, I was in the market and a really nice fish market and I saw this really <laughs> nice knife. I didn't have money on me. There was an ATM like two streets away. I could have gone to the ATM. I didn't and now I regret <laughs> I regret that one. <laughs> and, and there wasn't an opportunity in Tokyo. I guess you couldn't really go explore. No, could we could you, go really? outside of the village at all. And I, I can get a chef knife anywhere. Well, I was going to say, if there's any just... Japanese listeners, they can maybe send you one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm like, that's why I, I say that a little bit of it as a joke, but like, I don't <laughs> like as a power time traveling would not be the thing because for me, I, I believe firmly. So yeah, flying is pretty cool. <laughs> no, I, I think go with the time travel just so you can get the damn knife. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, I like, I like, I, I've enjoyed this chat, Lawrence, but I'm now I'm just so concerned about this knife. Like, come on, I want you to have it. <laughs> I'm good. I got a really cool knife right here. It's just yeah. it's a bit cheaper, but it works really well. No worries. <laughs> Wow. Uh, the best candy in the world is? Um, I really, I, I'm kind of like really into Skittles. Mm. I don't know if you have them. Yes. I, I don't know, like sweet and sour. I just like that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I I feel that Skittles should be answered more, but they sadly don't. But no, I'm I'm on board the Skittles train. Absolutely. Yes. Um, thank you. <laughs> might have already touched on this. We kind of just talked about the the Canadians a little bit. But as a kid, your favorite sports team was favorite sports team. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of sport as a kid, but I'd say just the synchro swimming girls that I saw that inspired me to start doing sports. Nice. I I I loved during Tokyo the fact that they had that new camera angle where it was kind of the waterline, um, which was just amazing to be able to really see just everything that they're yeah. doing underwater. It was just amazing. Oh, you would be you would be surprised. I've seen so many different ways that cameras work before, and there was one that always fascinated me. And they had like cranes at four corners of the basin, and there would be a camera hung by like wires that mm-hmm. would literally be in your face about about one and a half meter in your face, a giant, giant camera. Like sometimes it would be like about almost a meter long, the setup, like the, the giant thing. And it's in the, in your face and you have to focus and battle like that. It's not like a drone, it's in your face. And that was like really cool shots, honestly. But I, yeah. I don't remember seeing much of those setups. <laughs> I just, it's interesting. I think um, we have those sort of cameras uh, during sort of some of our football events. I call them spider cam. And I always, yeah. I always wonder, like I was watching the swimming like during Tokyo and like, you see them as well. And you're like, what happens if it breaks and then halfway <laughs> through it hits an athlete and that costs them a medal? Like, what do you do? <laughs> honestly, I have no idea, but. It probably happens that some things happen. Like, yeah, it, you know, I well, in Formula say, One, they've had advertising hoardings fall down on the track, and like a car's crashed into it and crashed out because of an advertising hoarding. So things like that go. can happen. Yeah. yeah, I I always say, you know, the Olympic Games, they are one race at one time in one place. If you were the best last week, it doesn't mean anything. Because during the Olympic Games, maybe the, the, the winds are going to be different. Like for our race, and the whole two weeks we were there, it was a crazy side wind. And side wind is really, really bad for canoeing because you have to steer. So if you're paddling on the right side of the, like, for example, with right wind, like in the Olympic Games, if you're paddling on the right side, it's easier. You don't need to steer as much. If you're paddling on the left, which I am, it's harder. So sometimes people are like yeah but you could have won that race dude the win was a rights win that's what the games were i had to deal with this and i came second this is amazing just you know so it's it's like something happens and you have to deal with it i just hope nothing as bad as a camera falling on the athlete happens <laughs> that would i don't want to jinx that like that you know but i mean having said that i think that athlete would go down in history right like as the athlete yeah. got stopped by a camera um knock on wood yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, your favorite sports movie is? Uh, I really like, uh, what's her name? Is it Sandra Bullock, the sports movie about... The Blind Side? Yes, exactly. It's I'm not into much about like sports movies because, I don't know, I'm more of a action movie rather than just sports <laughs> or... Either. I don't like romantic comedies. I hate them. Do you have an action star? Like, are you an Arnie person, you know, sort of more so modern day with like The Rock or someone like that? Or, I, yeah, I like action movies. I like, uh, like thrillers sometimes. And I, it's cliche and boring, but I love hero movies. They're just cool. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing <laughs> I mean, wrong with that. They're just fun. But, yeah, no, I, I don't 
Yeah. But the blind side is a good one. Like it's it's more than just the sport. It's really good to see the the relationship between people and how it the the characters grow up. Got Sandra and Oscar, so they they were doing something right with it. There so you there you go. And it's Last a true question. story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is indeed. There and you he, go. It's the, even better. The, the, and the uh, the guy, the footballer, I can't remember his name, but he went on to win a Super Bowl, didn't he, with the Ravens, I, I think, off think the top of my did. head. So, yeah, so always a happy endings. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, that's a hard one. Um, I, I have a few places. I love Tokyo so much, first. It's an amazing, uh, amazing place. Like Japan is great. So if I could go back there, I would, but I don't know if living there would be fun. I would probably choose somewhere warm. Hmm. <laughs> I, I missed training in the warm during the last winter. So I would probably choose somewhere warm. Which yeah. just saying, if you move to Tokyo, though, you could get that knife. Um, so... <laughs> You, I don't need it anymore. I got go, <laughs> No, come on, you do. You want that knife? Like you, you would trade probably. an Olympic medal for that knife. Probably. It's that precious. <laughs> yeah, probably. A friend of mine wanted to like send me a link the other day about like finding <laughs> Japanese chef knives. <laughs> Lawrence, uh, before we let you go, um, if people want to stay up to date with you, sort of what you're up to, anything along those lines, mm-hmm. social media, website, where can where can people sort of stay up to date with you? Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram and Facebook at Laurence Vincent Lapointe. But honestly, like with school, I haven't been as uh, as busy on my on my social medias. But yeah, I'd be glad to see people there, and they can hit me up if they have questions. I'll be glad to answer. You've been busy, so I think you kind of uh, got a, a very good uh, excuse for that. Uh, can I just say it has been such a a pleasure chatting with you, learning about your story, just everything that you sort of gone through to get to this point and uh, such an amazing chat. Congratulations, of course, on, on the two. Let's hope for many more. I'm saying this now. I know you're not thinking about Paris. I know you want to take a break, <laughs> but bugger it, Brisbane 2032. It's only 11 years away. Come to Australia. You can uh, do that. But, uh, Laurent, seriously, abs- <laughs> 11 years away. is nothing. <laughs> Sorry, 11 years away, I'll be 40. If hey. I'm still battling... It's it's going to be tough a little bit, but I've seen it. I'm just Go saying. Go for it. Go for it. We, we had an equestrian rider for Australia at 62 who just won a silver and a bronze medal at his eighth yeah. Olympics. So, yeah, hey. The thing is, canoeing is a different sport. Well, you can put a horse on the boat, add a bit of, you know, difference to it and really, <laughs> you know, show them off. <laughs> I've traveled with my dog in my boat before. Hey. It's a small dog. He, he could be my new teammate. Work your way up. You know, that, that, okay, you want to talk about going viral. If you went to the Olympics with your dog in the boat, you win the Olympics. Like, simple. Yeah. That's it. The thing is, yeah, my dog is a little bit old. I'm not going to put him through, you know, uh, Brisbane <laughs> in 11 years. It's a bit late. Like, it's a bit far. <laughs> I just say never say never. Lawrence, thank you so much. An absolute pleasure to chat with you. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> Massive, massive thanks there to Lawrence. Just just an incredible story, really, of everything that happens. It's going to make me rethink kissing people now, and I'm not even an athlete. And Maybe I already do rethink kissing people, but just insane to learn that that happened and that nearly 
these medals that she's walked away from couldn't have been a thing based on something as simple as giving your boyfriend a kiss. So uh, amazing to think that. But we really do thank Laurence for her time and uh, such a pleasure to be able to chat with her on the show today. Moving forward, more great episodes coming your way. You want to stay up to date with who we've got on the show, what's coming up, simply hit us up on social media, off the podium or on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, if you want to subscribe to our channel on different podcasting platforms, uh, that's platforms in case you didn't understand what I said there, uh, off the podium, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the ones out there. Search for us, subscribe, listen to the old episodes, listen to the new episodes, and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Once again, thanks to Laurence. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. We'll speak to you next time. And as always, go left. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think.